This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going, it's not a long section we're looking at, we're just going to be looking at verses 12 down to verse 19, and we're going to be talking about the fact that your pain has a beautiful purpose. So I want you to be thinking about that even before I read our scripture for us together. Your pain has a beautiful purpose. Let me read from 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12. This is what it says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at your word together today. And Lord, we just commit this time to your care. We pray that you'd speak to us. We pray that you'd help us to understand what your word is communicating. We pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, and we pray that we would walk with you in the midst of all circumstances, whether we be going through a season of comfort or a season of pain, whatever season we find ourselves in, Lord, we pray that we would recognize that you have a purpose for it all. And so, Lord, we thank you for the challenges and the admonitions that we receive from 1 Peter 4 as we look at it together today, and we commit this time to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. A while back, I heard someone telling a story, and he was actually telling the story of what his friend had once told him about his friend's picture of the ideal life or the perfect life. And his friend said that he hoped that at some point he would have the opportunity to live on a beach somewhere in Hawaii. And I guess to a certain degree, that sounds rather appealing, probably to most people. But he said he wanted to just have a simple hut on one of the Hawaiian islands, and he wanted to have a satellite dish hooked up to that hut so that he could watch a lot of TV. He said he didn't want to experience any stress. He didn't want to be bothered with long conversations. And in general, he did not want to have to interact with very many people. That was his picture of a stress-free life. Now, if you were given the ability to, to figure out or to carve out the ideal version of what your earthly life looked like, what would you want it to look like? What would you want to see as part of your ideal earthly life? So would you be by yourself or would other people be surrounding you in your vision? Um, would some of the stresses that bother you right now not be included, or would you tolerate some of them because you think that they have a greater purpose? Right now, if you, uh, if you take the time to read the news, you'll see some rather tragic stories. Uh, in just the past few days, I've read about people struggling with very serious health needs. 
Uh, I've also been reading a lot about those who are hurting financially. Uh, locally, I just saw the other day a story about a business that was being permanently closed, and there's fear that several other similar businesses right here in our area are going to be closed. And now that also starts triggering in my mind the idea of job losses that are obviously going to come from those businesses closing. And when you look at these things, whether it be health needs or financial needs or vocational needs, whatever they may be, these are all serious trials. And any of these things, I think we'd all admit, these are not easy things to go through. And as fun or as interesting as it might be for us to try and imagine what an easy life or our stress-free version of an earthly life, what it might look like, that's not something we've actually been promised here on earth. That's not something that the Lord has told us to expect this side of heaven. In fact, when you look at what Scripture actually tells us, we're encouraged not to be surprised and we're not to be discouraged by our trials. These are things that are not really called to to take us off guard because the Lord actually tells us to expect those things. These are things that the Lord has told us will come, but at the same time, He has a beautiful purpose for them. So what else does His Word reveal to us about the trials and the difficulties that we might experience this side of heaven? Well, one of the things that we just read in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'll reread it for us in just a moment, is that we're to remember that something strange is not happening to us. Look again at 1 Peter 4 verse 12. It says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, let me pause there for just a moment. So uh, many of you probably recognize that I have a somewhat unique last name. Uh, I'm actually quite glad that my parents gave me a very easy-to-pronounce first name because most people do not get my last name correct. And in fact, many people, when they look at it quickly, they insert an R and they turn the last name Stangi into the word strange. So a lot of the junk mail that I receive, it's not addressed to John Stange, it's addressed to John Strange. There's that added R that gets uh, frequently added to my last name, and I'll admit to being somewhat strange, but I have not adopted that as my surname. But when you look at this portion of Scripture that I just read for us from 1 Peter chapter 12, this passage makes use of the word strange. The word strange is right here in this passage. And it tells us that when we're in the midst of difficult and fiery trials, that we shouldn't consider that to be overly odd or overly strange. In fact, we're told here not even to be surprised when these things take place. And so I guess that is telling us that that we should actually expect trials to come our way. As difficult as that may be to do, we should actually, from time to time, expect to experience trials this side of heaven. Now, when you're going through a particular season of life that tends to be rather trying for you, how do you, di- how do you typically respond to it? You know, when you're going through a stretch that is filled with trials, what's your typical response? Do you find yourself resenting it? Uh, do you find yourself wondering if this is maybe some form of punishment from God? Uh, do you find yourself in a spot where you start to question God's fairness as if He's not fair because He's allowed you to go through the trial that you're going through. I think many believers mistakenly think 
that, that God has shallow goals for their lives. And I think it can be very easy for us to start thinking that just because our goal for our earthly lives is stress-free happiness, that that might be God's goal too. That's simply not the case. That's not what the Lord's told us in His Word. Our Lord desires that our faith grow strong. He wants your faith to grow strong. He wants my faith to grow strong. Our Lord wants to produce holiness in our lives. So He wants you and He wants me to reflect His holiness in all circumstances, in all situations. His plan for you, His plan for me, it goes much deeper than what our plans for ourselves may have been up to this point. And for that reason, Scripture reveals to us that our Lord graciously allows our faith to be tested. He lets us be tested. But I'll say this, a tested faith is a genuine faith. And a tested faith is a strong faith. Trials and tests, these are things that come our way to differentiate who really believes in Jesus and who doesn't believe. Trials and tests do a great job of convincing our own heart that we actually believe. And if you're going through a testing season right now, which I would imagine is a pretty safe thing to say for many, if not most of us, if you're going through a testing season right now, realize just what this scripture says, that something strange is not happening to you. This really isn't strange. This really isn't out of the norm. This is actually the type of thing that scripture tells us to expect from time to time. It's not uncommon. It's not abnormal. It's not strange. This is, in fact, quite normal. And uh, will most certainly have a long-term good effect on you and on the depth of your faith. Now, when you go through 1 Peter 4, we could see that in addition to, uh, you know, what, what Peter says here, you know, reminding us that ultimately something strange is not happening to us, we're also encouraged here when we get down to verse 13 to rejoice in the midst of our suffering. Now, even before I reread verse 13, I recognize that that's not typically what our hearts want to do when we're in the midst of suffering. We don't typically jump up and down and say, oh, I'm so glad that I'm in the midst of a season of suffering. We don't tend to think about the the good that can come from it. We don't tend to immediately gravitate toward rejoicing in the midst of our suffering, but that's actually the counsel Scripture gives to us. We're encouraged to rejoice in the midst of our suffering. Let me reread 1 Peter 4, verse 13. It says this, "...but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed." So we're in the midst of a collective form of suffering right now, but keep in mind that suffering is only a temporary thing. That's easier to say after suffering is finished than it is to say while we're in the midst of it. But keep in mind, suffering is only a temporary thing. Sometimes we tend to catastrophize our pain, and we tend to treat temporary concerns as if they're permanent realities. But Scripture reveals to us that those who know Jesus can learn to see beyond their temporary pain. We have been blessed with joy in Christ that is not dependent on earthly circumstances. And there's multiple portions of Scripture that reveal these things to us. One of those portions of Scripture we find in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And in that passage, it says this. It says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds.'" For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
And when you look at John chapter 16, verse 22, Jesus specifically said this. He said, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. When we suffer on this earth, particularly when we're suffering at the hands of others because of our willingness to live out our faith in Jesus Christ, we can rejoice because we're experiencing the same kind of treatment that Jesus received during the course of His earthly ministry. The Scripture speaks of our suffering in this context as sharing in Christ's sufferings. In those moments, the testimony of our life is saying that we love Christ more than we love the kind treatment or the praise of other people. So we don't want to find ourselves in a spot where we idolize the comforts of this world over Jesus. He's the one who will be the ultimate object of our affection for all eternity, and He's the one who should be the ultimate object of our affection right now, right here in the present. We don't want to idolize our comforts. We want to glorify Christ. We could also rejoice in the midst of our suffering because we've been told what's coming next. As those who have displayed a genuine faith in Jesus Christ that bears itself out in a willingness to suffer for the name of Christ, we're also told that we can look forward to the blessings of living in the midst of His eternal glory when that glory is finally revealed. Suffering may be part of our present. It's very much something that that many of us are dealing with right now in various forms, maybe in subtle ways, maybe in big ways. But suffering will not be part of our future, our ultimate future. Our hope is not anchored in momentary circumstances. I think a a season like this right now is one of those times where it's useful to be reminded of that. Even if we think this season is about to come to a conclusion, It's useful when you're in the midst of a season of difficulty, a season of trial, a season of suffering, to to be reminded that our hope is not anchored in momentary circumstances. Our hope is anchored to Christ, and our eyes can see future blessings that He has in store for us by faith. In all honesty, I, I have to say this, I actually pity those whose whose greatest desire for comfort is tied to the present moment. I think it's the most short-sighted way a person can choose to live. If my ultimate hope, if my ultimate desire is to just enjoy present comfort in a a particular moment, it's a very short-sighted and a very hopeless way to live because it means that my sense of contentment, my sense of joy is, is all tied to my circumstances, and my circumstances change constantly, and I have no control over many of the things, if not most of the things, that take place in my life. So if my joy was tethered to these things, that would be a very, hope, a very hopeless way to live, and that's certainly not what Christ has called us to adopt as the mindset for our lives. It's a short-sighted way to live. We can rejoice in the, midst of our, in the midst of our sufferings. His Word encourages us, in fact, to do that. We're also told, as this, as this thought is developed here in 1 Peter 4, we're reminded that, that there are going to be times when our suffering isn't really tied to uh, like a cultural issue or uh, the collapse of an economy 
or the spread of a virus or anything like that. There are actually going to be times, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, where you may experience forms of suffering that are directly connected to your relationship with Christ, the fact that you bear the name of Christ uh, right here, right now. There are forms of suffering that are actually connected to that. And in some of those moments, you may be hurt, you may be insulted, you may experience difficulties, but the Scripture teaches us not to be ashamed if we're insulted because we bear the name of Christ. Look at, at verse 14 down to verse 16 with me. There it says this, "'If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So let's say you choose to go about your life on this earth joyfully looking forward to what Christ has in store, and not willing to tether your hopes to temporary things. If that's what you do, what might you experience at the hands of others, as your faith becomes more and more apparent, and as your beliefs become more and more audible, what might you receive from others? This scripture cautions us to understand that we actually might be insulted for bearing the name of Christ, that we might be directly insulted because we choose to be a follower of Christ, that we, that we joyfully have the name or the label Christian placed upon us. Have you ever experienced any sort of insult or any form of persecution related to that? And if so, how did it feel? Uh, Growing up, I'll say this, I I did not have very many people uh, among my friend group that shared my faith in Christ. I had some friends that were believers in Christ, but most of the people that I was friends with did not share my faith. And when the Lord got a hold of my life, I can remember two distinct times during that season as a young Christian when I was insulted in ways that were very hurtful to me at the time. I don't know that these insults would hit my ears quite the same way that they did when I was young. I don't know that they'd hit my my ears that same way now. But at the time, this was a new experience for me. I, I was being insulted because I had chosen to become a follower of Christ And so I was getting used to what that experience actually looked like. So I remember one particular season when I had just returned back to my neighborhood after spending the summer uh, volunteering, working at a Christian summer camp. And I remember some of my peers in the neighborhood, unfortunately, really giving me a hard time about that and trying to make me feel bad about it and using that as a, a way to insult me. And I remember thinking, well, I thoroughly enjoyed my time serving there. I'm thoroughly not enjoying their insults, but if that's the price I have to pay to, to you know, live out my faith, I, I guess I, I need to get used to this. I remember sometime after that, it wasn't really too long after that, when we were getting our class rings. And so uh, I know some people do that now. I imagine that that's a little bit less of a common trend um, you know, in recent years. But uh, during my, my latter years of high school, it was common for us to get a class ring, and I remember thinking, all right, what do I want to get on that class ring? So I got a variety of things, but one of the things that I got on the, the ring was a cross, and then right underneath the, uh, right on the side, I guess it was, so I guess there's a cross underneath the stone, and then right on the side of the ring, there was a Bible. 
And so I had both of those things on there. And uh, I remember everybody showing each other their rings, and I remember uh, some, of the, the, some of my classmates looking at my ring, and one particular classmate giving me a hard time about it and really making me feel bad about it. And unfortunately, his hurtful words stuck, and I still remember his attitude. I still remember his facial expression. These were insults that were being directly sent my direction because of my newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And I would even imagine that right now during this season of my life, since I tend to be rather outspoken pretty much about everything, if you ask my family, but I do tend to be most outspoken uh, about my faith in Christ. So I would imagine that there's probably people that speak poorly about my faith today as well. I think it just kind of hits my ears differently at this season of life than it did uh, at a younger season of life. But when you look at what this portion of Scripture tells us, it tells us that here in God's Word, not to be ashamed if we're insulted for following Christ. That can be one of the, the, the more common forms of trial that we as believers in Jesus Christ experience during our earthly lives. Now, I will say this, though. Some professing Christians will never experience this. Some professing Christians will never be insulted for their faith in Christ for two reasons. The first reason is this, they may not be very open about their faith in Christ, and because not very many people actually know what they believe, they're certainly not going to be insulted about something that people don't even know they believe. So some Christians will never be insulted for their faith because they don't really tell many people about their faith. They're not very open about their faith. They don't really take the risk to share the message of the gospel with very many people. And a second reason why some people may never be insulted for their faith is because once they became a believer... They stopped spending any meaningful time with people who didn't share their faith. So they stopped building relationships with unbelievers. They stopped building relationships with those that didn't share their faith perspective. And as a result, they rarely put themselves in a context where they might uh, experience someone taking issue with what they believe because they really don't interact with people who don't already share their beliefs. I think both of those examples, though, are tragic. I would encourage us to be people who speak up about our faith, and I would encourage us to spend, to spend plenty of time with people who don't share our faith, because if we don't spend time sharing our faith with others, if we don't build relationships uh, with the intent of also helping people meet Jesus who's rescued us, what are we really using our lives for? And so when you look at what this Scripture reveals to us, it's encouraging us to understand that if there's a day when we're insulted or cursed by others because we follow Christ, don't forget what we're told here, that this world may curse you, but the Lord desires to bless you, that His Spirit rests upon all those who bear the name of Christ. And so we're cautioned here not to lump suffering for Christ in the same category as suffering for practicing evil. It's very different. If we practice things like, it gives examples here, if we practice murder, if we practice theft, uh, if we practice other forms of evil, we can expect to suffer as well, uh, but that's a different story altogether. The insults we might receive in a context like that would be well-earned and would be well-expected. But if we're insulted for living a sincere, faith-filled devotion to Christ, don't be crushed. Don't be overly disappointed. Don't be surprised. Rejoice that someone actually took the time to notice your faith in action. 
And there's one other thing that this portion of Scripture brings out to us that shows us the beautiful purpose that the Lord has for our pain, the beautiful purpose that He has for our trials, and that's this. And we see it in verses 17, 18, and 19, where we're encouraged to recognize that God will use our suffering to refine us. Let me read those verses to us. It says this in verse 17. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. I take a high level of comfort knowing that the Lord doesn't waste the trying or difficult experiences that He allows me to go through. And during the course of my life, I've experienced trials in just about every major category that I can think of. And yet, in every instance, the Lord's taught me something. He's taught me that He can make my faith strong, and He's taught me that He can be trusted. In every instance, He's shown Himself to be reliable. He's shown Himself to be true. Now, let me say this. I don't know right now, I don't know exactly what kind of trials you might have, have already gone through or what you might be going through at present. But don't let those things surprise you, and don't let those things discourage you, whatever they may be. From time to time, these things come, but the Lord never wastes them. He will not waste the difficult season you're going through. He will not waste the trial that right now you're, you're being called to endure. The Lord uses these things to remind us that our greatest hope and our greatest comfort is in Jesus Christ. The Lord uses these trials to help us identify areas of worldliness that have crept into our thinking so that we could start weeding those things out. And He also invites us to be people who rejoice in Him, even when our circumstances look less than favorable. Our Lord is faithful, and you and I, right now, we can entrust the care of our souls to Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the privilege of being able to look at your Word together today. Lord, we're grateful for just the blessing that it is to be able to read these words and to think about these things and to recognize that you have a purpose for our pain, you have a purpose for our seasons of difficulty, you have a purpose for everything that we go through. So Lord, we're grateful that you don't waste these experiences, but you bring beautiful things out of, out of these experiences. Lord, right now we recognize that many of, of the people we love and care about and many people that we don't even know at all are going through seasons that are stretching them right now. Some people are being stretched in regard to their health, whether it be their physical health or their mental health, just thinking about what-if scenarios. Some people right now are being stretched financially or maybe dealing with a severe downturn in their business or the loss of their business, or maybe right now there are others who are fearful about losing their income because their job may be going away. Lord, these are genuine fears. These are genuine concerns. These are the type of things that stress us out quite heavily this side of heaven. But Lord, when we look at a portion of Scripture like we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, we recognize that our hope doesn't need to be anchored in our circumstances. Lord, if we lose our jobs, we recognize that you will, 
use this season to stretch us and test our faith and make our faith even stronger. And then you'll open up new doors for us to walk through, and we can rejoice in that. You'll force us to be creative. You'll force us to learn things that make us wiser. Lord, if right now we're experiencing health needs or if those that we love and care about are experiencing health needs, Lord, you'll develop within us a greater desire for us to pray and to submit ourselves before you and to ask for your intervention and then to rejoice over the miracles that you accomplish. So, Lord, you can use these experiences that we're going through right now to test our faith and to make our faith stronger and to glorify your name in our lives. Lord, we don't choose these things. We don't tend to want these things to come to pass. But you also tell us in your word that we should not be surprised as if something strange is happening. This is not strange. This is something that's right in line with what you told us to expect. So as we're learning to understand what that really means, we pray that we would also learn to rejoice in you in the midst of every circumstance. Thank you for the hope that you've given us beyond this moment through our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for all the good that you have in store for us on the other end of our trials. We commit ourselves to you now. We commit this day to your care, this week to your care. We commit our nation and, your, and this world to your care. And we look forward to your intervention in your time and in your way. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.